All right, welcome to the Sports Ethos Landers Chargers podcast. Divisional weekend recap. Brandon, how are you doing? Oh, not bad, Rob. Not bad at all. Uh, wild games, but hey, that's when you get in the playoffs. So good to <laughs> talk about it. We just finished another Mahomes-Allen absolute classic. I don't even have words, really. I mean, they had basically the same yards at the end of the game, in total yards. This is the most even matchup I think we've seen between these two in a playoff game. Yet Mahomes still gets their number. I think the important thing that I think you would have thoughts on more than anything, and I think is the most important part, is that final drive that Tyler Bass missed the field goal on because you felt that they made some really bad play calling decisions on that drive. So talk about that because I feel like that's probably the most important takeaway from this game overall. Well, you know, right, even right before the two-minute warning, you know, on that same drive as they're going down the field. I mean, it's not so much a play call thing, but Josh Allen did fumble the ball. And, you know, if it wasn't for Dalton Kincaid, Chiefs would have won that game right then and there with a scoop and score. So, you know, that, that, that plays a part of it. So then, okay, you get lucky there. You go for a fourth down, which you had to, so obviously, you know, right call. Um, although, although even before that, I, I still do not agree with that with the fake punt on fourth and five. Fourth and five with Demar that, Hamlin. I don't. I yeah. still don't get that at all. I, I think that was awful. That's, that's still. I mean, like you know, you're lucky the football gods rewarded you with the touchback rule, but at the same time, you, you can't. It doesn't. It doesn't excuse just that awful decision. Um. In your own territory, you were like what the twenty-five yard line, thirty. Yeah, yard like line, I think they were at like, like the thirty. Yeah. So you know that's just that's awful. You can't do that. It's like, and you had what? It was like how many minutes left? Like twelve. Yeah, no, something like that. Eight or, some, eight or like nine, 10 or 12, something. something yeah, like that. eight or nine, so, so ten to twelve. Like, I don't. Somewhere around that area. Yeah. yeah. You 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 still regardless. My point is, you still have plenty of time. But you know, like punt that ball away and see if your defense makes a stop. But um, but at this, but then you know, okay, so you, you'll go to the two minute warning or around two minute warning. Your first play on first and ten for a two minute warning. Okay, you run the ball, get a yard. You know, I'm okay with that. I'm kind of, I go back and forth on that, but the more I think about it, I'm like, I'm okay with that. Take it to two minute warning, see if you can get a couple yards on first down, take it to, take it to two minutes, think about it, and then come back. Problem is, is that I'm not a fan of the next two plays after the two minute warning. Why is why are three out of the four routes you run? You basically ran just not verticals, but you basically tell everybody to go deep. And then your digs is your crossing guy underneath. Now he was open. Josh Allen made a bad decision to throw that ball into the end zone because even if you score a touchdown there, Mahomes has too much time. So I I don't like him throwing the ball in the end zone there, but I don't like the play call even more. But in that case, you skip that one. So the, you, you fail there. Third and nine, you have to just get at least close to the first down marker. Why are you going to the end zone on third and nine? You had a trips formation on the left just for Josh Allen to roll out to the right and throw into the end zone. Like, that doesn't – I mean, it wasn't designed for him to roll out to the right, but you knew that was going to happen because they're basically going to, you know, especially with a right-handed quarterback. I don't want him throwing the other way down the field to the left side of the field on third and nine. I, that's that doesn't make sense. You have all the guys starting to come over to the right as he's rolling out, going into the end zone, and there's no play there. It's incomplete, obviously. So, 
I just don't like, you know, I don't like having a trips on the left side of the field, third and nine, and basically telling all those guys to run deep 15-yard routes when, to me, when you have second and nine and third and nine, just get a chunk. Get five or six yards. You don't need the whole damn end zone, or you like you don't need 20-plus yards. That's not good play calling. You don't need that there. And then that's eventually what set up that, that field goal in literally almost like hurricane force winds because you saw how the goalpost was literally moving and the flags on top were just completely blowing all over the place. And you have a kicker that's lining up from the right hash where the wind is blowing anyway from, from left to right from what he's looking at. So he has to basically bash that thing all the way to the left for that thing to have any hope of going in. So, you know, you set yourself up for failure because you didn't call the correct plays. And it happened even way before that, like I said, earlier in the fourth quarter. So that whole fourth quarter, really, because up until that point, it was a really well-played game offensively by both teams. They were both getting down the field pretty well. But but, but Buffalo more so than Kansas City, because Kansas City's offense also stalled in the fourth quarter too. But more so than Buffalo, Buffalo had every chance. They, they kept getting chances. Defense kept getting stops. You've got to be able to get a score. And they didn't do it on like three or four drives in a row. And it was mostly because of that bad play calling. I mean, some of it was bad was bad execution, but it starts with the bad play calling. Bad play calling leads to bad execution leads to losses like that. So, you know, that's where it goes. And 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 I always and I, I end up always thinking back to how I don't focus I look, the regular season games between these two teams are excellent. I mean, we saw it this year. When we're focusing on the playoffs between these two teams, it's always fourth quarter collapses by Buffalo, really. Overtime collapses by Buffalo. And the reason is, as you said, bad play calling late in the games. But then it almost feels like, and, and we talked about this earlier in the year two, or two, for I, I think we said this at least for a good portion of October. We said, hey, they have a good running game with James Cook. Use that. Right, and they did for a good portion of the game. They even had Ty Johnson get a bunch of chunk yards, but it felt like in that fourth quarter, it was just like, okay, frick it, Josh Allen be a superhero. Because I still think yeah. part of the problem with Buffalo now that we're going to another off season, another one where you lose to Mahomes and the Chiefs in a disintegrating fashion. Really, the 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 reality is that this. This idea, which I don't think it's just Josh Allen wanting to throw the ball deep. I think that McDermott and this staff, the last three, four years that we've seen this matchup, really still believes that the best way to win is to put the ball in Josh Allen's hands and make him throw the ball deep. And they believe that year after year after year. And we've kind of seen that it doesn't work. And you look at the third and nine that they had there, that the second and nine, the third and nine that you're talking about. You could run with James Cook at five, six yards. And even if you get a yard out of it, at least you're still running the ball. At least you're still being able to reset. And I said this way back in September. Uh, I know we've talked about the running game, but I said if they run the ball consistently, if James Cook get, I don't know how many yards he got today, but like, if James Cook can consistently run the ball, especially late in the fourth quarter and get 200, 300 yards, the Bills are a Super Bowl team. They didn't do that on that last drive. They, they and, mm-hmm. and, and it's like, 
we it is something that you've said with your Eagles. It's something that you've said with a lot of teams. And honestly, this is something that I think will be repeated for, I think, even the Packers when we get to them later. It, if something doesn't work, fix it. And if something does work, why are you changing it? Because that's mm-hmm. kind of been the difference between the teams that are winning games right now in the playoffs versus teams that don't. Because if you look at what the Lions did today, yeah, they, they struggled in certain drives. But hey, they still ran with Jameer Gibbs. They still ran with David Montgomery a good a good bit, especially later in that fourth quarter when they were trying to get the win and close the game out. And and we and another piece of this too, what do we always say in January? How do you win games on offense? You gotta run the football. And Isaiah Pacheco mm-hmm. got carries when it mattered and James Cook didn't. And it's funny because Pacheco had three less carries. But so I mean they they were almost even in terms of carries, but Pacheco had more yards just because I mean, it's 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 when you run. It's not always because listen, I always say I want to see teams, especially my Eagles, but other teams, you know, run the ball more. But that doesn't mean you run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, then throw it and then do the same thing on every single drive. That's what it felt like. The, I mean, if even though James Cook got 18 carries, it just felt like on on a lot of these first downs, it was like they a lot of these drives started the same way: run the ball on first down, then. Short pass, short pass, punt. Run the ball, short pass, short pass, punt. It was like, it, it, it's just, it, that's not how you win football games. And it's funny because when you needed to run the ball and then do short pass, short pass on that last drive, you didn't. You went, run the ball, abandon it, throw deep, throw deep, throw deep. So it's like, it's, I understand that it's a lot harder than it, than we make it seem to be, but it also kind of isn't at the same time. You got to have situational awareness. And a lot of, I feel like this is not just for the Bills, but a lot of these coaching staff just don't have it. Like it's you across know, the league, paid, across the league, we've seen this this year. The yeah. Bills are just another example. And it's just, it's just like every time I watch a game, you know, when me and you sit sitting there and watch games with each other, it's like how many times we sit there and be like, oh, that's an awful play call. Oh, that's just an awful execution of it because that's the guys are confused or it's like, oh, it's like, oh, like what, what kind of call is that? It's like if. I understand, and please, this is why I'm saying it again. I understand that it's a lot harder than it looks, but there's no way that fans sitting at home can diagnose a play before it happens from their couch, and then these coaches can't see it, and then they sit there and they sit there and scratch their head. Huh? I wonder what. Like, they have, they have a confused look on their face after the play is over. Like, it got blown up for negative five yards. Oh, I wonder why it didn't work. No, well, no, duh. If I can tell you what you're doing wrong, sitting on a couch, pounding a bag of Doritos and a Mountain Dew, if I can tell you what you did wrong better than what you can tell me you did wrong, that's a problem. Uh, and that's been a case for a lot of teams. Actually, that brings us to a good transition. Actually, before we get to the Chiefs, I think this is a good transition. This is kind of the same problem with the Packers as well, because the Packers controlled that Niners game through maybe 60 minutes. And then it just oh, kind of yeah. went to crap in the fourth quarter. I think I think it's a, a great transition. I'm talking about what the Packers did wrong. It's kind of similar to what the Bills did today. Yeah, I mean, the, the Packers, I don't understand how you can dominate it. Well, I mean, just like Gronk said in the in the, in the the postgame on, on the NFL on Fox, the Packers had played 58 minutes of a 60-minute football game. That's basically what – but I don't even think they played 58 minutes. They really played probably about 50 because the last – I'd say 12 minutes of that fourth quarter, they forgot how to play football. They just figured they'd won the game because they kept getting stops defensively, but the offense was stale. The offense didn't move the ball. 
The, I mean, like, listen, the Packers, that, that lack of experience shows. And that's what you got there with that game. But the, and then, you know, it's, it's, it's disheartening because Jordan Love, I mean, if you look at the numbers, they weren't terrible. I mean, the last interception was god I mean, listen, the two interceptions of Drake Greenlaw were awful. But, I mean, you know, 34, you know, attempts, 194 yards, but he kind of game managed, but it was working because it was, it was, I know people hate me when I say this, but it was game manager against game manager yesterday, and the better game manager won. <laughs> but, 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 you know, like, look at Aaron Jones, 18 carries, 108 yards. That's six yards a carry. Like, he did his job. So it's like, you have that. And the thing is, the ball distribution was good. You know, uh, Dobbs got, got four catches, 83 yards. Reed got four catches, 35 yards. Musgrave got three catches. Tyler Kraft got three catches. Aaron Jones even got three catches. Like, so the, the distribution was good. The problem was in the fourth quarter, they just didn't keep their foot on the gas. The play calling kind of, honestly, they kind of just fell asleep. Um, you know, how many times do we look at that game and we're like, what the hell is this offense doing? Like, you have a chance to go win this game and you're sitting there acting like you're up by by 30 instead of being up by, like, three. It's It's like... I don't understand why you guys think you have this game won already with the, with these kind of play calls. I mean, you know, a lot of just, you know, poorly timed, like passing plays. You know, I don't, I don't get, I, I, I just, I, I just, I, it blows my mind. Like I keep saying, just how many times these coaches just don't seem to read the game. Well, when it's happening, I mean, I know it's a lot quicker decisions. I know I understand that. I'm going to keep saying that, but I, you know, I don't get paid to do it. But I like, man, if I got paid to do that job, especially because, you know, obviously I, I would, I, if I got paid for it, I would have the qualifications to be there. I would think a lot more about the situations and what's going on in the game and how the game is flowing rather than just, I'm going to stick with my game plan because I'm stubborn and we're going to make it work or else. And I feel like that's what a lot of coaches are doing. Packers. Bills, you know, any team that's that's you know had play calling issues this season, which I mean, it, frankly, has been the, most of the league, not all, but the better teams are the ones that can adjust to the game, to the situation, and just they can make it work with however they decide to pivot. If one thing doesn't work, they'll pivot to this quick and make adjustments. It's the the team that makes better adjustments will win the game. It's always been that way. And and, and you look at the last four teams that are here. That's that's what they all have in common. They're the four best teams that actually made adjustments all year. Yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. that's that's the difference. Yeah, I mean, like you know, the the Niners could have easily packed it up after they lost three straight to terrible teams. You know, and but if anything, they they got better after that point. You know, we were kind of shaky on them a little bit, and then you know they, they you know play calling. You know they they leaned into CMC. Which they were doing early on, but they leaned into him more. They they kind of got their weapons in space more, uh, you know, and that ended up getting them to where they are now. And then defensively, they've been they've been great defensively all season, so that was never a problem. But they made the adjustments offensively and have kept it going. Even last night, they were not the better team for most of that game. They were getting their ass handed to them. And then you know, but once again, when you make those adjustments late in the game. Even defensively, when you shift guys around, or offensively, when you when you start leaning into a certain strength of your game and knowing that the other defense can't stop it, that's how you win playoff football games. So it's 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 no surprise that these these are the four teams left standing because they they do so well 
at what they do. Like they're they're just they're there for a reason. They make better adjustments. They're just better coach teams with players that are giving it their best effort and best foot forward to adjust with whatever they're in sync with the coaching staff and the coaching staff is in sync with them. So that's how you got to do it to win football games. Pretty simple. And like, and, and that's also another thing too. The, maybe the one caveat here is Kansas city, but the thing with Kansas city that I have is like Mahomes does mask a lot of their problems. I think today was a good example of that. And I and look, that's been the case for years. I I almost don't. Re- this is as as weird as this sounds. Every time the Bills and Chiefs play, because obviously the Chiefs have have won all these playoff games, it's almost like we can throw that game kind of in the trash for the rest of the way for them because a lot of their problems are not really as big against the Bills. Just because the games are so wild and they know how to adjust to that specific game. And then you look at, okay, now you have the Ravens. Those problems still exist, right? And they were able to be situational against a team that they know how to beat year in, year out in these tough environments. But the Ravens are going to be a different animal for them, correct? Yeah. No, you're not wrong there. I mean, the Ravens, I said this the second the game ended tonight, the the Ravens are not the Bills. The Ravens are far better than the Bills. The Ravens, to me, I know people want to talk about the Niners, but the Ravens, especially the second half of the season, they've been the best team in football. They've been been scoring 30-plus points a game. They've been, you know, dismantling teams on both sides of the ball. Lamar Jackson is a dual, is a true, true dual threat. Yep. Uh, probably the most explosive. Du- and it's funny because we had issues about him going, you know, almost halfway into the season until he finally, they finally figured out how to, you know, kind of let him rock, but also, but also protect him. And now he's become MVP Lamar Jackson again, where he's the best dual threat in football. So. You know, when, when like last night, you know, what was it late in the game? I saw a stat where he had, it's like, oh, he had 120 passing yards. It's like, okay, that's not a lot, but, you know, but they didn't have to do a, you know, it's, it's still, you know, it's the Ravens, but it's one of those things where, you know, it was like, it was like 120 passing yards, but he had 90 rushing. That's insane. That's like, who does that? Like, I love Jalen Hurts, but Jalen Hurts doesn't even do that. Josh Allen doesn't even do that. Like that's 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 on another planet. Like it's it's crazy how how one guy can account for double digit yards on, on both rushing and passing. I mean, so you know he he's gonna show up. Like he's better than Josh Allen. You know that that offense, the way they're run, is better than way better than the Bills. Their defense is way better than the Bills. Like I'm sorry, the Chiefs. You know they had their miscues tonight, and the Bills should have beat them. So I can only imagine, once again, Chiefs are not great on the road. They won on the road tonight, but they haven't played a lot of road games in the playoffs. They have to play another road game next week against a way, way, way better team than the Buffalo Bills. And it's going to be cold again. And it's going to be cold again. It was cold on Saturday. It's going to be even colder next week, probably. Oh, yeah. So, So, listen, I know the Chiefs are surviving these games, but that that's the thing. They're they're 
And listen, I know in the playoffs, all that matters, especially in football, everybody says, oh, wins a wins a win. But, and I know in the playoffs, it doesn't matter how you win as long as you win because there is no next week. So, yeah, it does matter that you just win. But it also matters how you look, you know, going into the next round because you don't want to give the other team a reason to expose your weaknesses. So even though you're winning, the Chiefs are winning, but they're just surviving these games. They're not winning them. They're surviving. The Ravens are a team that will absolutely pick you apart if you want to just play surviving style football. So it's it's one of those things where it's like they they bet they have they have to come with their MVP Mahomes, you know, Travis Kelsey, you know, thirteen hundred yard receiving, like and Pacheco has to have the best game of his career, I think, in order to beat them. If you don't do that, the Ravens are pro- I, I think the Ravens beat them by two two or three scores. I, I don't think they can hang with with I don't think the Chiefs can hang with Baltimore. I just I, I can't see it. If they do, it'd, it'd be a miracle. And I'm, listen, I'm not counting anything out because the playoffs. You know, you know, you know, they say you know, any given Sunday, especially in football, and it's been you know when it comes in to playoffs, winter, it really in is winter time. It's winter time. It's the playoffs. Anything can happen. You know, so yeah, anything anything can go. But I, but just based off what I've seen and what I know from these two teams, you know. That, that's all we can do is kind of just give our predictions. But from what I see, the Ravens are just the far better team. And then you, know, you look at the NFC side of things, right? Like, uh, believe me, I want the Lions to win. And the only way the Lions win this game, to be honest, is if the if the Niners come out playing like they did yesterday. Yeah. If the if the if if the Niners come out playing like they did yesterday, Lions will beat them, and not just beat them by a touchdown, probably beat them by two scores. So. You know, so that's that's you know, it's it's going to be interesting to see how the Niners rebound. Everybody's like, oh, well, they have, you know, this. I saw so many fans on on social media, and once again, I'm going to reference Twitter because it's always on Twitter. <laughs> um, some some Niners fans are like, oh, well, you know, give them a break. They had a week off. You know, this is their first playoff game and or their first game in you know two or three weeks. Yeah, I I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not going to give them a pass when you're playing a Packers no. team that's the youngest yeah. team in the NFL. I'm not. Yeah. But but here's I'm not giving you a pass. But but here's the thing with Detroit, right? Dan Campbell's got them high on confidence and all these things. That Tampa Bay game kind of pissed me off. And and it yeah. did because and it did because we you you and I obviously intently watched what they did against Philly the week before Tampa Bay. And then we watched mm-hmm. what they did all season. They could barely score 10 points all season. I and 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 this was a game, and I said that I texted this to you guys in the chat after the game. I was like, "This is a game where it felt like the Lions almost had to score every drive." Well, you're basically yeah, going to have to score they, every now. Now you're basically going to have to score every drive against a Shanahan secret sauce offense, and we'll see what Debo's injury is going to look like during the week. That's certainly going to affect it. But this is if you can't make stops on defense against an offense that is like the two most dynamic offenses in the league right now are the Ravens and the Niners. The Ravens, you've talked about how they're dynamic. The Niners are dynamic just because of Shanahan's scheme, the motions, the, the Mm pre-snap movement, right? And then how, and then just the drag routes and all these things that they do to confuse the defense. If you're struggling with Tampa Bay defensively, how does it look against San Francisco? Even if they're not fully healthy, I'm very yeah. scared. If you're if you're a Lions fan, I'm very scared about how that's gonna look. 
Yeah, and I mean, what have we said all year about the Lions? We love their offense, but their defense is not is just not up to par. It's not. I mean, listen, I love Aiden Hutchinson. I love, you know, I love some of the younger guys on that team, but uh, their their DBs are not good. Their secondary is really not good. Um, their linebacker, I mean, listen, Anzalone is a good, good linebacker, but he's not great. Um, and, you know, and that's where CMC is going to feast is that second level. And, I mean, like, Ayuk, Kittle, get to see what Debo looks like, like you said, but – I, it's just, if they have to get into a shootout with the Niners, the Niners win that game. It all depends on how the Niners come out and how they look. If they come out, you know, like I said, again, against what they did against the Packers, then the Lions can win. But if they don't, it's going to be a long day for Detroit fans. So that's really what it comes down to. I, I, you know, then I mean, really offensively, you know, I don't think Jared Goff's built to get into a shootout with a Niners offense. I don't think like, so. I, I don't think so. I really Jared, don't. Sure. Like Jared Goff is great. I, and listen, I get they make fun of it. They call it the game manager bowl, but Brock Purdy, if Brock Purdy comes out and starts getting the ball to all those different weapons and they start getting yards down the field and they start, you know, just hitting on every drive, then that brought then that game manager bowl is gonna be over in a, after the like halfway to the second quarter. <laughs> the game manager so, bowl. Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, you know, but like the thing is, is like you know, Brock Purdy has has a little bit, you know, more wiggle to him. Obviously, he's younger too. But it's like, but Jared Goff. I mean, I uh, against how much that 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 defense of the Niners just flies around and flies to the ball and all this stuff. And I mean, listen, the Niners defense—they're going to be tested too. You know, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Sam Laporta. You know, the dual running backs, Montgomery and Gibbs. So it—they're going to be tested, but. But I I like their chances. I, you know they fare far better against the Detroit offense than than you know than Detroit's D fares against the Niners. Also, I'm speaking of NFL memes and things. The Ravens Niners logo shit is getting funnier and funnier every week. <laughs> it's not real, but it's funny. It's funny how people yeah, are just like funny. talking about it and like I'm like bro, chill. Um, um, but um. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be tough for the Lions to get up and down the field for sure. Uh, finishing up on on uh, on the craziness that was um, Chiefs-Bills. I can't believe this came out in the middle of the third quarter, but ESPN reported that they're looking into. There's momentum, not just because of this game, I can assure you, because we had this conversation about 10 weeks ago. Uh, when it was a big deal, I think in one of the early, one of the early Sunday night games, maybe like week eight or nine, I don't fully remember, uh, but you can look back in our back catalog if you want to kind of see that conversation. Um, but they are looking into potentially changing the touchback rule, and we'll go back to what we talked about 10 weeks ago. I, I don't know how they change it. We had a 30-minute conversation about this 10 weeks ago, and our stances haven't really changed. Yeah, and... We even said it during the game tonight. We're like, no, this rule still can't be changed. And I, I, I saw, you know, once again, I keep bringing up the social media people because I'm, you know, during during playoff football, social media goes nuts. It does. <laughs> but on social media, everybody's like, you know, one of the guys I follow is a good guy, but he was like, oh, he's like, he's like, I think the touchback rule is the dumbest in sports, and they should find a way to change it. But what do you mean find a way? There is no way. We've talked about this literally ad nauseum at points this year. There's we no talked way about to we did a thirty. Rule. We did like a thirty and forty. Uh, we did like a thirty what four, thirty to forty minute segment ten weeks ago. 
about the exact topic. Yeah. yeah, and the things we all said was, okay, well, you're not going to reward the the offense for fumbling the ball through the end zone. That's stupid. You're not going to take it away from the defense because they made a play. And you're not going to take the rule out of the out of the out of the book because then you need you still need a rule to cover that that exact event. So yeah. and then and then the one the guy's suggestion that he said was to oh make it a 15 yard penalty for the offense. Why? It doesn't do because anything. Recover, like it doesn't do anything. And on top of that, if you're making it a 15 yard penalty for the offense when you fumble the ball through the end zone. So imagine if that's a deep shot. From from the forty yard line or so, or like you know, from the forty yard line, it's a deep shot into the end zone. Catches the ball, gets tackled from behind by the safety, fumbles the ball through the end zone, and it's a touchback. So you go from the forty to going back to the other side of the field. So at the other forty five yard line, so the drive is basically over at that point. Yeah. Even if you're in the red zone, even if it's first and goal. So then you want to take a fifteen yard penalty from the one or two yard line, move it back to almost the 20. So then, so then if it's, if it, then if it kind of then replay the down, right? Okay. So then if it's first and goal, all the damn defense has to do is line up at the goal line. <laughs> and, 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 and look, it look, a field goal. and look, so it's like that. That's stupid. It changed to it too. <laughs> See, and like, here's the thing, like props to the guy for coming up with ideas. Cause I, I do agree. I think it's one of the dumbest in sports. <laughs> I think we said that 10 weeks ago. I, what were the other things we talked about 10 weeks ago? We said, uh, we said, I also mentioned today, and I think I said that before, that maybe we just replayed the down. But you're like, but what What do you say to that? What's your response to replaying the down? Uh, I, I don't like it because it's like re- replaying the down. Hello, Shane. Replaying the down doesn't, uh, you know, re- replaying the down doesn't help either because... You, it's not like it's a penalty that happens. It's not offsetting penalties or anything like that. It's a football play that happens. So it's like you're discrediting the fumble. So then, because if you replay the down, so then all of a sudden, so what? That that fumble, like if a fumble counts against your stats anywhere else on the field, how does a fumble there not count against the stats? Uh, it's just for fumbling through the end zone. So that's why I don't like it either because it's it's a statistical thing, and the play happened. It's not like it's not like it's an offsetting penalty. So I don't like that rule either. Uh, I don't sh- like that that option either. Shane, welcome into the show. What we're talking about the touchback rule. How w- do you have any thoughts of, or any ideas of how you would change it, or maybe how the committees are going to discuss it in July? Uh, I mean, what's the issue with it? <laughs> the, uh, oh, For starters, uh, what's the what's it's just, the, likes it. it's just it's like, a dumb like I, I know I know what you're saying, Shane. I don't really have like a perfect response to this this question, I mean, but it's like it's just a dumb rule. Because well, people people hate it. People really hate it because you're that close to the end zone, the ball goes to the end zone, nobody recovers it, and it, it becomes a defense's ball. Whereas if you fumble it out of bounds in the field of play, it's it stays whoever's ball it was. So you know, the people are like, oh, well, that's a dumb rule. It's like, but there's no other way you can change it to where it makes sense. This is the only way this makes sense. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, like, what else, what else would you do? You know what I mean? Because it's, it's like, I don't know. Do you just, or, I mean, either that or you lose a down and it just, so like, if, you know, that happens on second and nine, then. It just goes to third and nine, as if the play didn't happen. But even that's kind of, yeah, weird, confusing. I don't know. I mean, I just 
I mean, it sucks, yeah, but like, I don't, I don't know. I've never really thought I mean, about it. Then, like, what else would you do? I mean, I've seen people say like, "Oh, do you do you lose a down and then just, like do you simultaneously lose a down, but also give them the ball like where it was fumbled?" So it's like you know, well, that's it's fumbled in the end zone. Make... So it's at yeah. the one, like. But that's here's yeah. here's what people were saying. Like, here's where my confusion is, right? Here's where where because I I think we've had enough conversations about this rule in this podcast to be like, well, what do we do with this rule? The competition committee, I'm certain, not only just because of this game, but for weeks has has kind of internally been like, this will be on the docket in July. How does the conversation even start? Change the touchback rule. How do we do it? How does that we we're having trouble even coming up with a good idea? How does the guys who jo- whose job it is to change the rule to better the game have this conversation? Like I I don't even know, and that's where and my that's, concern that's the big is. Question. That's the big question too. Like the last part you said to better the game. What change can you make that it betters the game on a yeah, play that like it that? better that it better because that's the whole point of the competition committee. The competition committee's focus is rules to better the game is number two, and number one is player safety. That's why the kickoffs have changed over the years. That's all the competition committee. The competition committee goes in in July and says, We need to change this rule to better the game. Go. Who says anything valuable? And I'm not I'm not flaming the competition committee. I don't want to fl- I like the competition committee. I'm just trying to say like who says anything that makes you go, "Yeah, I like this." There's nothing. It's just the truth. It's like, you know, it's like that conversation's over in 2 in less than 2 minutes. I think so. And it's going to be one of the most important things that the competition committee discusses in July. And I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I really don't, but we'll yeah. see. Um, the issue to me is there are uh, a lot of other issues with the game that <laughs> need to be fixed first before they get to something like that. <laughs> Cough, yeah. ref, cop, ref. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, among other things. Uh, Shane, we already went through a good bit of uh, the divisional round, but what are your overall thoughts from the weekend? You know, pretty fun weekend of divisional round games. I mean, you know, last <laughs> wild card was like, <laughs> um, but yeah, I felt like these were pretty evenly matched and, uh, well, <laughs> except, for, except for one of them, but, um, <laughs> it was still even in the, you know, Baltimore Houston game, it was, it was still close for, you know, two and a half quarters. Um, but, you know, now it's like, okay, well, every other game was tight, was competitive. And, uh, you know, it's just this Detroit thing is, is just so cool to see. I know that you know, everyone's uh-huh. been been harping on it, but, I mean, come on. Like, you know, we've seen, we've seen San Francisco – and Kansas City in the AFC Championship for many years now. I'm over it. I don't care. Like whatever. Just I, I'm, or I shouldn't say I'm over it. Well, I am. But that's beside the point. Baltimore, you know, but Baltimore being in there, they've always been kind of good. 
but you know, they, you feel like you never really see him this far. So that's that's kind of cool. But then Detroit, I mean, man, that's this you really don't see. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, just seeing how that whole city and really state uh, have rallied around them, and it's just really cool. Yeah. And you know, I don't. I don't know if I see them winning next week, um, but you know, I'd be really cool if they did. Ooh. And um, save us, yeah, save but, us, Jared Goff. <laughs> save us. I know. As a as a as a Seattle fan, um, you know, I, I never thought I'd look at what used to be the Rams franchise quarterback and go, "Yeah, I like this guy." <laughs> yeah, or, or or saying just in general, hey, uh, Detroit Lions, do us a favor next week. Like, who the hell says that? Right, right. Yeah, um, no, exactly. Shane, do you think it's just the defense that concerns you for the for the Lions against the Niners, or is there more that concerns you next week? Um, I mean, it's mostly the pass defense. Uh, like, obviously, the D line's great. They they get some pretty good pressure. They don't necessarily get a lot of sacks, but they still disrupt the run game pretty well. And they, and like I said, they get a lot of pressure. So, you know, that's good. <clears throat> it's really, for me, it's the back end, <laughs> you know, especially if Debo's back. I mean, they're going to have to be, for the receiving targets, you know, in San Francisco, you got Debo, Ayuk, Kittle. Uh, use check. It might be thrown in there. Um, McCaffrey, McCaffrey, McCaffrey out of the backfield. Yeah, it, right. And he's a receiving threat, which most running backs aren't, but he is. So, you know, the, the they've got they're going to have their hands full on defense, to put it mildly. Um, and likewise, that's you know that's a good defense they're going up against. I mean, they've got one of the best offensive lines in the league lines do. And, um, you know, but they haven't, they haven't faced a San Francisco front seven. And not only that, the lions all line got beat up today and that almost cost them today too. So I don't know how healthy they're going to be. Yeah, exactly. So I, I don't know. It's, um, I mean, I, I'm not saying that they're not going to win, but I think, you know, they definitely could. I mean, this season's been kind of nuts. Who knows? Um, but definitely, they have an uphill battle ahead of them, for sure. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll but see. Actually, you know, what, you know what I'm thinking of, too, the, that I just thought about now? That, since we're talking about that Detroit is so easy to root for, like, they didn't think that, like, they knew that they were probably going to have a chance to win a division, but they didn't think they were getting this far. Like, oh, I don't think any of us, that. any of us, thought no, they would get like, this far. Like, like, yeah, but they're but they're playing with house money. So, real, and the thing is, the narrative around the Niners is, oh, can they can they win playoff games? Because the Niners had just they keep choking the playoffs, so we just keep waiting for that playoff choke. So it's to me the pressure. I mean, well, we know this kind of, but. The pressure is all on the Niners to win this game, so that that plays a factor too. That that, that you know the Lions they can play basically loose and free if they want to, because it's I mean you know they, they, I mean obviously the team themselves are going to try to win, but 
there has to be that added element of just how much pressure is involved with both these teams. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was gonna say. I mean, that's that. That's one of the things that Detroit definitely has going for it in this next game. Is yeah, they don't really have anything to lose. I mean, they've already gone way above and beyond expectations. <laughs> um, you know, I well, I I think most people would say that at least. Yeah, and um, but San Francisco this year. I mean, I think they're probably the biggest Super Bowl or bust team this season. Oh, for sure. That's left 100%. Yeah. I mean, not even that's left, just in general, throughout the whole season. Yeah. I mean, that's certainly how I've viewed them this year, because they have such a stacked roster who hasn't won it. And, I mean, you know, they've got that perfect combination right now of, like, Old, you know, older guys who are soon going to be out of their prime and young guys who haven't been paid yet. So, you know, give it another year or two and well, <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, you're going to be you, moving on from you're, you're in Kittle a, you're, or McCaffrey or you're, you're in an L.A. Rams situation in two years. Right. Yeah. So, you know, and especially if they end up paying Purdy. Um, which is which, coming up yeah. in two more years after this, so they still have a good right. Run. Which I mean, who knows if they will? But um, but it would at the moment it would seem like that's the direction they're leading. But yeah, you know, yeah, we'll see. We're talking about the Bills and the Packers offenses earlier in the show, Shane. How do you think these two teams compared today offensively? Well, I mean, it's it's interesting. I they they're very. I I view them quite differently, to be honest. I mean, you know, Green Bay is so. Well, first of all, Buffalo. They have a lot of. They have a lot more. Um, I guess star power, you could say. I mean, obviously, like Josh Allen and Diggs, right? But then you also have like Gabe Davis, which you know, me saying that name, you'd be like, he's not a star. No, he's not. But he had that four touchdown game against the Chiefs two years ago in the playoffs, and none of the Packers receivers have any kind of reputation like that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I think they are. Um, you know, most of those guys are more talented than Gabe Davis, but I mean, they, you know, they're new guys. They don't have, they haven't done anything like crazy yet. Um, and that's, you know, that's the thing with Dream Bay is they don't really have any, you know, like stars necessarily. Um, I mean, every, you know, people know Jordan Love, but that's just because of the whole, you know, Aaron controversy and <laughs> that whole situation. <clears throat> but and then you know I guess you have Aaron Jones, but he, I mean even he right now is kind of like most people look at him and think ah oh, well you know he's kind of washed up and even though he's still really good, <clears throat> so yeah I mean I, I just think that 
if I'm comparing the two of them, I really, even though Buffalo probably has the more talented offensive roster right now, I really like Green Bay's future a lot more uh, because they're really young and they, you can just see them growing together as a unit. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's, they might not be quite as good right now, but in a couple of years, I mean, who knows, right? And even that, I think you can make an argument that they were better offensively this year than than Buffalo. I mean, they, you know, they got to the same spot in the playoffs as them, almost beat the one seed. <clears throat> and um, so, you know, it's, yeah, I, I like... Even though Green Bay had the game in the bag and they lost very, you know, heartbreaking loss at the end, Green Bay should not be hanging their heads low right now because um, they, like Detroit, really exceeded expectations. And I think more so with Green Bay. I mean, most of us were kind of thinking Detroit was either going to win the division or be a playoff team. And then we were looking at Green Bay thinking they were going to be like last in the division and, <laughs> you know, all this. But they made it to the divisional round, just wiped the floor with Dallas in Dallas, where that does not happen to them. And, you know, this is the first. They did all this in the first season of this core of guy, core group of guys together. So imagine what they're going to get with more time to just develop and and more talent going in that pipeline too. They're going to get some free agents. Yeah. 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 So yeah, no, I, I really, I think the future, I think the future is bright in green Bay. Um, Buffalo though. I don't know. They, um, they just have kind of, I mean, this is what they've been for, Four years now. You yeah, know, th- this just, is this is their peak. Feels like. Yeah, uh, I mean they, you know, this is three straight years losing in the divisional round to Kansas City or Cincinnati, and you know it's it feels like um, as long as they've got the group they have with that current coaching staff, that sort of feels like their ceiling is divisional round. Uh, you know, maybe an AFC championship here and there. Um, but, you know, I who knows? I mean, it seems like Allen is going to be there for a while. Um, but Diggs, I could see him leaving after this season. He's very unhappy after last season. And, well, you know, things didn't exactly improve this year. Um at least as far as the results. So I don't know. It's going to be going to be interesting to see how things unfold in Buffalo. It's kind of tricky being in the, you know, being where they are. Cause it's not like it's a popular free agent destination with, you know, being a small Northern town and, um, which personally I'd much rather play in like, Green Bay or Buffalo than I would in like, you know, Vegas or so, you know, Houston or something like that. But cause I don't know, I kind of like small town America, but 
Um, but you know, most most guys in the NFL don't share that sentiment with me. So, uh, <laughs> which I get it, but um, yeah. Anyways, um, and then and then let's continue on with actually mostly the quarterbacks here, Brandon, um, with Houston and and. Tampa Bay. I mean, talk about what Baker Mayfield did this year, and of course, we've we've talked to death about C.J. Stroud, but Baker only mentioned a couple times what what a good season for for both of these teams. And I know Tampa Bay is getting a little older, but still bright futures for both of these franchises. Brandon. Oh, absolutely. And when it when it comes to both these guys, I mean, I mean, no one. First of all, no one expected the season that either of them were going to have. Nobody expected them to really make any noise in the playoffs. They both won a playoff game. Um, it's, I mean, CJ Stroud broke records as a rookie quarterback. Uh, you know, Baker Mayfield is right up there for comeback player of the year. Um, you know, he was supposed to be a stock gap guy. And he ends up being, uh, you know, you could, you know, he'll be here for maybe another couple of years. I mean, especially if he plays well next year, then that's going to be really something to talk about. Um, you know, he, because we all sat there and said before the season started, you know, Mike Evans was not going to have a thousand yard season. His streak was over. Here he is with Baker Mayfield, thousand yard season. Um, and Mike Evans is going to be know. gone. It it looks very clear yeah. that he won't be there next year. So how does that change things? Yeah. It changes that offense because now your number one is what? Chris, Chris Godwin. So, yeah. I mean, who's good? Chris Godwin. But, but he's got the injury history. Right. So, you know, it's like now, okay, so now if he's got the injury history, who are you bringing to replace him? I mean, these are, these are still questions that are it's too early to tell. We're not even at the draft yet. We're not, you know, we're not even near free agency either. So it's like, you know, we'll wait and see. But, uh, and this is where, this is where I, I know we probably don't have the money. I don't care. This is where I manifest my Mike Evans to Philadelphia pitch. <laughs> um, but, 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 like I said, you put AJ Brown on one side of the outside, you put Mike, Mike Evans on the other side of the outside, and or even you know next to him, and then you have just put you put Smith in the slot. Who's stopping that? Um, especially if the Eagles get a good offensive coordinator. Okay, not the point. Um, but I mean Texans, you know Bucks. Bucks defense turned it on late in the season too. That was a big. That was a big important turning point for them. Um, but May- Baker Mayfield had a four thousand yard season. Who would have thought that was coming? Uh, especially you know for getting into this point in his career, he's he might he might end up having the. I mean, listen, Goff's got a better got a better system around him, better weapons. But Baker Mayfield might end up having that Goff arc where he was the guy for a team, went downhill fast, hit a low point, and now is coming back up in a massive way. So Baker Mayfield could have that Goff arc of going forward. But this season, I mean, just to just to do what he did, like just to be uh, honestly, you know, on mistake free, because because he had a lot of turnovers in the, before this in his career. I mean, you know, I just couldn't, and also just had a lot of had health concerns too, especially with his arms, his shoulder. Um, so for him to be healthy and to be a to have a decent statistical season and to win a playoff game, all that together is just is is incredible for him. Um, on top of like I said, having that comeback player of the year campaign as such. Uh, and then she's just seeing Stroud just breaking the records that he did with a more defensive-minded head coach. Usually, a defensive-minded head coach and a and a, a great quarterback like that don't mix unless you're Tom Brady. Um, 
But of course, there's only one Tom Brady. Uh, so you know, and then we're gonna, we're, you, know, you can talk about all the Rookie of the Year awards that Stroud's gonna get thrown his way. He should. Uh, whether that's you know, uh, it should be offensive, offensive Rookie of the Year. Um, so it's it's amazing to see what both those guys have done this year, but the trajectory of both these franchises. Who it's like, okay, we thought the Bucks were basically gonna just be a a bottom feeder team with Baker Mayfield at quarterback and just getting older and not the same pieces there, but they they show that they can win if they they can make some noise. And then the Texans, we thought, hey, this is gonna be one of those things where he's gonna have a rough year, growing growing pains kind of year, and. Then CJ Stroud just comes out <laughs> basically week one and lights the world on fire for 18 weeks. So, you know, it's impressive what both of them have done. It's impressive to see what they do going forward. You know, the, I mean, the Texans are set up with a brighter future than the Bucks, but if the Bucks can, you know, replace Mike Evans, which is, I mean, it's, that's, you know, you don't replace Mike Evans. That's hard to do, but you don't replace a first ballot Hall of Famer. But, I mean, uh, it's it's one of those things where, you know, that has to be seen what they do. I mean, they're, they're getting older, obviously, uh, you know. So, that, but the Texans have a, a way brighter future ahead of younger guys, all that all that good stuff. But, you know, we'll see. They should be in good spots next season too, uh, as long as they can kind of keep build off of what they did here this season. So, I like both quarterbacks. I like what they did this year. I like both teams. And there's no reason for them to hang. They listen. Of course, every team wants to win the playoffs, but there's no reason for them to, to, to hang their heads off what they've done. They they've they've made themselves. And they've they made themselves, and they made the NFL world world proud because like those are the teams we talk about every year. Like when we talk about Super Bowl contenders. You talk about you know the same five to seven teams that are in that mix. You don't talk about the Texans. You don't talk about the Bucks. And those teams are we even think, we even think they were playoff contenders, let alone Super Bowl contenders. And the Texans honestly could next year could honestly be in that conversation. So, you know, it's going to be fun to see what happens going forward for both those guys and both those franchises. Yeah, what about you, Shane? What about those two franchises moving forward? Yeah, you know, it's... I mean, first of all, I think... Can we... Can we all agree that Mike Evans is possibly the most underrated receiver like in NFL history. Yes. Um, yes, nobody talks about him. We don't talk about him enough even say, on this I would show. Say under, I would say underrated superstar because yeah, like, he is a superstar. Brandon, we don't talk about yeah. this man on the show week to week. Like We have barely talked about Mike Evans and we should talk about him more. Like, you know, Mike Evans is my, yeah. like You know what receivers have as many thousand yard seasons as him it's like jerry rice terrell owens and larry fitzgerald and that's it <laughs> which is i mean and like maybe marvin harrison i mean that which is just insane but and he hasn't missed a thousand yards a single time in his career he owns the record for most thousand yard seasons to to start a career mm-hmm. yeah no I, that, it's, that's the thing but we but like no one ever talks about him because he's never I feel like, as weird as it sounds, in his in his career, like year to year, he's never been like the top receiver, you know. Because there's always like, you know, last year it was like, oh, Justin Jefferson is crazy. This guy, this guy's so good, yeah. And this year it was, oh, Tyreek Hill. Oh, look at this. And you know, it's like that every year. And then with Aaron Rodgers, it was Devontae Adams, you know, the MVP years. Oh, Devontae Adams is amazing. Huh? 
But then Mike Evans has just been like very quietly like the third or fourth best receiver year after year after year. So we just kind of like eh, forget about it. Um, plus it's Tampa. I mean, you know, before Brady showed up, nobody gave two shits about them. No offense. Um, no offense, Tampa. Yeah, James Winston throwing the ball to him too. James <laughs> Winston was throwing the ball for half his career. Yeah, you're right. So. Yeah, no, exactly. And Ryan Fitzpatrick and who else? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Harvard. But uh but anyways, yeah, no. And yeah, Tampa is um Tampa's interesting. I mean, cuz you know, they they have they have a lot of pieces, but they are undoubtedly aging <laughs> um and quick. I mean, I feel like in a lot of ways they're sort of a like a poor man's version of the Niners in terms of having quite a few, you know, good young guys, but like a lot of older veteran pieces that are like close to kind of, you know, being out of their prime or just straight up retiring. And, um, but you know, it's like even more extreme version of that. And, uh, so anyways, it's, yeah, and you know, it's just it's going to be. I'm curious to see how they're going to navigate that, and I, I I assume they're going to resign Baker. I probably would if I'm them at this point. I mean, uh, you know, he proved a lot <laughs> this year, I think, and you know, but it is going to be interesting, as like Robert says, it seems like Evans is on his way out. So what, you know, what's that going to, what's that going to look like? Is he going to sort of I take see, a hit? And also yeah. I forgot, I forgot to mention this too, before you continue Shane, like almost a quarter of that offense is, a, well, not a quarter. I would say there's about 10 key free agents, like key free agents on that roster going to next year that they're going to have to Ooh, figure yeah. out what to do with. Yeah, no, it, it's, um, uh, no, I, I saw the list, and I mean, it's, you know, obviously Mike Evans, but there's also, uh, you know, Levante David, Devin White, um, Kiel, no, not Shaquille Barrett, but I mean, still, those two, very good linebackers, um, you know, Ryan Neal, uh, Winfield, I mean, they're, you know, they, they yeah, <laughs> those are very important pieces of that team. And um, so, you know, some of them might stay, some might go. We'll see. Uh, but it's, it will be interesting. The one thing they have going for them is they have a lot of cap space. So, um somehow so they can you know if they want to make some noise in free agency they definitely have the ability to do that it's just a matter of you know will they <laughs> um in houston i mean they yeah i i mean i thought they were going to be like the worst team in the league this year um and then they won the division so you know that makes sense obviously but, but uh, yeah, I mean, I especially 
to see how well they did with how with how little they have, uh, like roster wise. No offense to them, it was really impressive. And I mean, you can figure now they're going to be a little bit more of a popular free agent destination. I mean, you know, it's it's not Dallas, which is definitely a bigger spot. It's in the same state. I feel like it kind of. They kind of sit in Dallas's shadow, but, um, but you know, I mean, it's it's a young core, and they have a quarterback who's on fire. People are going to be attracted to that, um, you know. Plus, it's Texas; it's nice weather, no state tax. People like that, so, um, I, I, yeah, I think they're going to get good pieces and. Just like Green Bay, you know, this is a team that fans should not be hanging their heads low. Um, they they are on the right track for sure, and it's going to be it's going to be exciting to watch. I think. Uh, let's do best thing I saw this week: Jason Kelsey Brandon jumping all <laughs> over the place with Taylor Swift, Brittany Mahomes, and everyone else in that Kelsey booth. What the hell, man! Oh my God! You know that that you know he was absolutely drunk before he even walked in to sit down in that in that suite. He drank for you a bowling ball. You know he had to be hammered. Yeah, he was hammered. Uh, listen, that 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 like I, like I was telling you, Rob, that that's his midlife crisis right there. He can't play football anymore. He's probably gonna retire. He has to be at home with the wife and kids. I mean, I'm sure he loves them, but listen, no man no man in their 40s wants to be home with the wife and kids. So, Jason Kelsey literally is is developing a midlife crisis right in front of us. He let it out. Well, yeah, even even so, he's, like, he's getting close to 40. But no no man wants to be you know stuck with that that quote unquote burden, but. I mean, and so we just saw a man that's facing reality on national TV. <laughs> he just let it all out for the world to see, and I love him for it. I love every angle of the video, him jumping out of the suit <laughs> to drink with Bills fans. That is a man of the people, and I swear to God, I really hope he runs for mayor of Philadelphia. You know, you know what? You know what? Forget it. Forget it. Run for president of the United States. I'm voting for him. I don't care if it's red. I don't care if it's blue. I don't care if it's independent. I don't care if it's some obscure 16th party somewhere in Alaska. I don't care. I'm voting for Jason Kelsey. I love the man so much. Words can't describe it. That was one of the best. That's also going to be one of the uh, when we re- we're definitely going to rewatch this game in like five ten years time, and that's still going to be one of our favorite moments is seeing Jason oh, Kelsey God. just go absolutely crazy. And and then and then they showed him again like Taylor. They're showing Taylor Swift hug Brittany Mahomes in the suite, and right behind that <laughs> is Jason Kelsey crushing another beer, crushing a Bud oh, Light. Yes. Like what? The, the real star of the show. <laughs> Oh god! So uh, that I don't know. We should have a name for the segment other than "best thing I've seen this week" because other people do that. Uh, but uh, that's definitely the best thing I saw this week was was that. Um, let's do conference championship picks. We haven't done picks on the show. Let's do it for conference championship week. Uh, Chiefs Ravens. Who are you guys taking? So Ravens Niners because of the Super Bowl logo, yeah. but also because <laughs> no, no. On a serious note, though, um, yeah, definitely Ravens. I, I think um, I, I think they have. Well, I don't know. They probably have a competitive game. 
you know, Chiefs and Ravens, but ultimately, I just think that considering the way Baltimore has been absolutely throwing everyone around, I just I just don't see Kansas City after two straight weeks of, you know, zero temperature games and this one being very close. I just I don't feel like they're going to be able to quite pull it off, especially when they have very little <laughs> offensive you know, weapons and firepower, if you will. I mean, I don't know how they've gotten... I don't know how this specific Chiefs roster has made it this far, to be honest with you. Because <laughs> um, they played the Bills and that game's wild and luck. you can throw it out. Complete it, luck. It's, it's, it's complete luck. Listen, I said this earlier in the show, Shane, I'm going to say it again. Every time Chiefs-Bills happens and the Chiefs win in the playoffs, you can just throw the game out for the Chiefs. I'm throwing this one out because it does because their problems are still there. The receiving core is still a problem. I mean, yeah, but no, no, no. But the, 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 my my thing is though, like we say this every year, like, well, you know, they beat the Bills, but yeah, they, but then they keep winning. It's like, what the, like, how? I don't, I don't know. Um, and you know, I would look. Last year, I was like, they beat. What was the game before the AFC Championship? Um, they played. Why am I forgetting it? I can look it up in the divisional in the divisional round because I remember Bills played the Bengals and Bengals. I mean, it wasn't a blowout, but like it wasn't really close. Um, and the Chiefs played somebody what? else. Why can I not remember it? This is pissing me off now. Um, <laughs> I literally can't remember either. Uh, let's look. Uh, uh, pro oh, football reference. Uh, no. Oh, they played the Titans. Titans. No. No. The Titans. Oh, the Jags. Jags. The Jags. The Jags, yeah. Because it was... I got it wrong. Because they barely beat the Jags in that game. Yeah. And so, going into the AFC Championship, when they were going up against the Bengals, who kind of wiped the floor with the Bills, low-key, I was... I was like, well, you know, Kansas City, I mean... They're not as good this year as they had been in years past. They don't have Tyreek and all this stuff. So they're not they're not gonna beat Cincinnati. And then they win the damn Super Bowl. I'm like, what the? so I I would sit here, it's just like last year, an AFC North team blows out this team in the divisional round, and I'm like, Yeah, they'll take care of it, but I just I can't say that because I'm like, well, I don't know. I mean they might not. Oh that being God. said, I do I do genuinely believe that this Kansas City team is like actually worse than the other ones because at least then they would even without Tyreek or whoever they were still very productive. They really haven't been that way this year. So whereas you know Baltimore has just been steamrolling everybody. So. Um, so I, yeah, I, I, I like Baltimore, but I don't, I don't love them when it, um, it's like a, it's a very cautious pick. I'm like, eh. <laughs> um, for me, I said two teams. I said 
best team by a mile this year were the Niners and the Ravens. The Ravens are the best team right now left by, I think, a significant chunk. Um, I think they've surpassed the Niners towards the end of the year. I think they've just sat there. Uh, The Ravens, for me, are still the best team. I'm still very scared of these Chiefs wide receivers. Yeah, they made plays today. I'm just going to throw this game out. I, I, I know it's weird to throw this game out, but like every year, Chiefs Bills is nuts. This game was no different. Ravens is a different animal. This defense is a different animal. This this they're gonna not only I think are the Chiefs receivers gonna have trouble catching the ball. They're you're gonna see plays where like Kyle Hamilton comes up and just knocks the ball out of a guy's hands. Oh yeah. Like like the the and I feel like that's gonna happen multiple times. So for me it is the Ravens. Um Brandon, what about you? I mean, didn't I say before the playoffs started, just skip to Ravens Niners? <laughs> it looks like I might be right. Like, he's got to play the games, but based on what we've seen, it should still be Ravens Niners, right? So it's, God, I would love to say Ravens Lions, but I just, uh, man, I don't think the Niners are going to come out like they did against the Packers. I, I, I would love them to, <laughs> believe me, but I, I, I can't see them having another kind of dud game when they barely survive. Like, uh, and there is no barely survive against the Lions because if they're, if they're bare, if they have another dud game when they play the Lions, the Lions are going to whoop them if, if that's the case because it's not the Packers. So, I just think that that's that's the only way the Lions can win that game. In my opinion, if the Niners come out firing, that game's going to be over probably by halftime. I just I listen. I, I love how much talent the Lions have, but their defense is just it, it will not keep up with that kind of offense unless they get pressure, but they don't get sacks. So, you know, and Brock Purdy knows when when to get the ball and who to get the ball to. So that's that's a problem. Um, and it's funny we say it's like oh yeah you know it's like the <laughs> Rob you're saying that the Chiefs receivers are scary yeah not in, not in a good way yeah in a um, bad way I'm I'm very <laughs> nervous this game this game. Today didn't change my opinion of the receivers. I'm still very. I'm even no. scared of Travis Kelsey catching the ball. He could barely yeah, catch. Well, he could. I mean, he could barely catch a hug from Taylor Swift over the last twenty weeks. What happened? What? No, see, I'm just like, yeah, it's weird because everybody, right? Not everybody. What am I saying? <laughs> every every week that I've watched the Chiefs. I, you know, we've all had the same thought of like, wow, these receivers are just so unreliable. And then today, like, what happened? I mean, <laughs> they must have, like, did they have a sticky substance on their hands? I mean, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to be real honest here. The most consistent receiver through what, it, what is it now? 22 weeks of Chiefs football has been Rashid Rice. That's it. Not yeah. even not even Kelsey. It's been Rashid Rice, and that's it. And I don't think, and that concerns the hell out of me. Um, so, Brandon, are you taking the Ravens as well here? Yeah, Ravens. I I just just like like see. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I had to make mention of this. CBS News New York. They're they're the first thing they show for the Bills Chiefs game to open it up. For the highlights, is Jason Kelsey just absolutely losing his mind? Ah, so. <laughs> yes, <laughs> love it. So I love that. Yeah, I love that he's become national TV for this whole night. 
Um, but <laughs> it makes you feel it makes you feel it makes you feel better about his retirement. He's gonna uh, wake up tomorrow. He's gonna wake up tomorrow morning and ask Kylie what happened, and she's gonna show yeah, him that. Yeah, oh, he's gonna be massively hungover. Just like, turn on the Today Show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just turn it on. But yeah, but but I think. I, I like you know like I think there's a path for the Lions to win in that Niners game. Only if the Niners come out playing like crap, but I don't think there's a path for the Chiefs to win at all against the Ravens. That that's the Ravens game to lose. Period. If the Ravens come out flat, that's their fault. Like yeah. there's there's no conceivable way for me that that the Chiefs win that game on the road in cold weather against a a, a wildly great defense that flies the ball, makes plays all around the field, an offense that can put up 30 or 40 easily on any team. Uh, I mean, hell, they beat the living crap out of Brock Purdy and the Niners. Um, so I, I just can't see the Chiefs winning. I can see the, I can see the Lions winning, you know, by a shred of a miracle. But I, I the Chiefs win that game. I'm starting to think the NFL is rigged. <laughs> oh, my God. Um so I'm going Ravens as well. Um, are you guys both taking the Niners here as well? Yeah, Unfortunately, yeah. I think that's that's the unfortunate consensus there. Uh, let's go lines. Opening lines actually for these both lines came out to well Chiefs one came out today. Actually, yeah, both lines came out today. Shoot, um, guess the line opening line actually guess the opening line uh, Chiefs versus Ravens. Ravens minus four. God damn you, Shane. Stop taking my answers every week. <laughs> uh, never. I'll, I mean, I'll just, I mean, knowing how Vegas feels about Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs and the, you know, whole, you know, Ravens, you know, unstoppable force meets immovable objects with. You know, Patrick Mahomes went up against him. Uh, I'm gonna say the same thing, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go one less. And I'll say Ravens minus three. Holy hell, Ravens minus three and a half. Good job, guys. Yeah, if I just went with a half. <laughs> um, Lions Niners guess the opening line. Lions or sorry, uh, Niners. Minus six. I would love, I would love to say Lions minus anything, but I know that's not true. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, Niners nine at home, they're, they're the way better team. Uh, yeah, I mean, if the Ravens is minus three and a half against the Chiefs, then that, I mean, uh, you know. Not oh damn! I was gonna say something like that. Um, I will say Niners. Oh wait, Shane, you said what was it? You said what was it again? Minus six. Oh god. Uh, you know what? I I'm not. I was gonna. I don't know if I want to go at half or not. Niners minus. Niners minus four and a half, but I also want to say minus five, but I would say four and a half. Niners minus seven. That's bullshit. I'm sorry. I I'm almost sorry. said that's, minus that's, seven. That's wrong. That's wrong. I'm not going to take that. That is an <laughs> awful line. You I, mean, think I it's get it. That's still an awful line. 
that is the line. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm okay with these lines, I think. I think I'm okay with them, to be fair. Um, all right. You know what's weird, too? It's a one seed versus a three seed in both. It is, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's it's that? quite rare that three seeds make it to the to conference championship. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're doing this. Anyway. The fl- we're doing this the flip it around since it is students' picks. Uh, Brandon, tell us why you selected Shutter Island for a movie. So when I first made that long list of movies, I was like, you know what? I want to pick something that, like, uh, listen, I love action. I love kind of horror stuff. So when I saw that stuff, I'm like, ah, but I'm like, I don't want to give you guys some kind of crappy action film. I don't want to give you guys some sort of, you know, horror film, whatever it was. So I was like, you know what? I love DiCaprio movies. And I'm like, and I came across Shutter Island while going through my, uh, I actually, for to find that list of movies in the first place, I went through my, my max subscription and I went through Amazon prime and I'm like, you know what? Let me see, you know what, what's in there. The movies I like that are in there that I saved. And I'm like, you know what? Let me just scroll through it and see what I can pick out and kind of make that list. So I made that list, and I'm like, I wasn't feeling all the movies. And then I was like, you know, and I saw Shutter Island. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna add that to the list. And then once I started making the list and fleshing it out, I'm like, that's probably like even before Shane, even before you said you wanted to do it, I'm like, that's probably the movie I'm gonna pick because that's the one that we can get the most out of, and that's the one that it 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 makes you really think about what's going on as you're watching it, and then obviously what happens at the end of it. So I mean, uh, you know, I could say a million things about it. Yeah, like, like, like I said, I say every week, you know, I say it almost every time we do a movie that, oh, I love the casting or oh, whatever it is, like, especially if it's a really good cast. The casting for this was phenomenal. Um, the acting in it was was phenomenal. Scorsese, great director. I mean, he's worked with DiCaprio before, obviously. Um, the Departed is one of my favorite movies ever. Uh, it's probably in my top five ever. Um... And this one probably isn't too far behind. It's probably like in my top fifteen. Uh, I I just love the I love that that it it blends different genres together: thriller, horror, drama. Uh, you know, some action towards the end. Um, I love that it does all that stuff. Uh, Legion suspense. It's it's. Uh, you know, every single second, once you get towards like the middle of the movie, every single second is like a twist and a turn somewhere. How, no matter how slight, um, I, God, there, there's there's just so much I can say about it. I mean, I, I don't want to say everything and then leave you guys with nothing. So, you know, I kind of hand it off to you guys. I'll give you guys the floor to talk about it because I I could talk about it forever. I I I, I could I don't get bored of it every time I watch it, even though I knew the ending. Uh, I picked up on things that I that I. You know, I didn't see the first time around, so I'll let you guys talk about it, and then I'll talk about right at the very end what I saw real quick that you guys might not have picked up on. What in the living fuck is this movie? <laughs> I, 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 like, like, it, this movie is, I'm, I'm sorry, Shane, I just have to let this out. This movie is incredible. It's incredible because yeah, it's such a, it's such a basic idea, basic sort of twist and turn. But and I and I, I was telling Brandon this earlier. A lot of the times we do these movies kind of you know later in the week, uh, just so we have our fresh you know our minds fresh uh, before we do it on the podcast. 
And I think you guys said that there's like a really big twist like towards the end and I literally forgot that. <laughs> I completely forgot you guys ever said that. And I just watched it. I watched it and I was like, I texted like this shit's captivating as hell. This story's captivating. And then at the end I went, wait, what? 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 Wait, 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 what? Because and then and then once I realized, oh yeah, the Ben Kingsley who won my actor MVP in this movie, he was phenomenal in this movie. When he explained what's going on, I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense. Okay, I get it. I get what's going on. But I was also telling Brandon this earlier, and I think this is the funniest part of the movie, is I'm a big fan of, of like psychological horror. Like I'm not somebody who likes horror where it's like, oh, here's this monster and this clown jumping at me and jump scaring me. No, I like things that are more intellectual. I like things that are more well i don't know if intellectual is the right word but it's like like i love movies like tenet right where it's all about time and inception where it's all about dreams and you know christopher nolan and just all this crazy shit that makes me think and normally in those kind of movies i would rewind a bunch of times this is so captivating i was like i'm just gonna focus i'm not gonna stop i'm just gonna focus and 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 watch this thing uh so i barely stopped the movie at all because uh, I'm like right in the middle to take a quick shower bef before my parents went to bed, but, um, but like, I was so captivated by it, and then like the ending, I was like, oh, like wow, and it also has such a a great mixture of emotions too. Like at the end, I was really sad, bunch of suspense in the middle, things like that. But back to my original point that I was gonna say, the hallucinations that uh, DiCaprio's character has in this movie are really scary from a psychological standpoint. They are, they are incredibly scary um, because I, I, Brandon and I talked about this earlier, but because the stuff is so real, but in my mind, I was like, relax. This is all a hallucination. This is, remember, th I was like, tell me, brain, like, Hey, this is a hallucination. This is a hallucination. This is a hallucination. Mm -hmm. And then to spoil the ending, which again, we can spoil this movie's been out forever. Ben Kings is like, yeah, the whole thing was a fucking hallucination. I was like, what? What? What the hell? What did I do? I just messed up my whole brain for the whole two hours. But uh, no, like, yeah, it's predictable. But it's actually now on one of my it's on my favorite movie of all time list right now. Um, I It's it's one of my favorites I, I've ever seen. Uh, it's fantastic. It's definitely a genre I want to watch more of because I'm just so captivated by these damn movies. Uh, this does not get the masterpiece rating, though. Uh, the one movie that so far that we've given the masterpiece rating to, or I have, is The Quiet Place Part 1. Uh, this gets very close, though. Uh, this gets a 9.5. Uh, fantastic, fantastic film. I'm really happy we picked it. Uh, Shane, your thoughts? Yeah, you know, this, um, it's interesting. I remember when I first saw this, he four, five years ago now. And, um, and I, I didn't know about the twist going into it. And, you know, normally when, <laughs> when there's a, Oh, it was all a hallucination or a dream or whatever. When normally when that happens, I'm like, seriously, like, screw you. Um, but there are a few times where I think it works. And this was one of them. And another one that I can think of off the top of my head was um, in Joker when he was in 
that girl's apartment. Oh, and, yeah, uh, that fucked oh, with me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that was, I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, but anyways, that's a different film. Um, but yeah, no, so the, I was not, personally, I wasn't really expecting it to go that way. Um, but then once it was revealed, I was like, okay, I get it. You know, it, it sort of, it makes sense, which I think is why it, why it works so well. Um, but you know, it still, and it still doesn't take away from, you know, the journey the whole time of like feeling like you're on this investigation with him and, it adds to it, Shane. It adds to right. it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and so I think um, another another thing, too, you know, aside from the characters in the story, uh, visually, this is a great movie as well. And, I mean, not only is it shot well, but it's also, it, it's interesting because to me, the, Asylum itself is almost like a character in the story. Yes. And then that's, you know, I think a lot of that is just the production quality of, you know, going by these, you know, certain people in the asylum and seeing how they're living and what, you know, and it's just like, wow, this is kind of like depressing and kind of, spooky almost you know mm-hmm. um it's just really it, like you were saying robert kind of adds to that horror element to it yeah um, and also i'm gonna add uh one more point um to what you're saying shane the sound design of this movie yeah is impeccable and it adds so much to it as well yeah definitely and it's kind of interesting <laughs> it's interesting because um they were so when they made this movie, they were going to um, Leonardo DiCaprio and Martin Scorsese were in the process of making Wolf of Wall Street, but something happened where either they couldn't get the funding or the rights to it or something like that, and so Scorsese just was like. Well, while we're waiting, you want to make this movie, Leo? And he was like, okay. <laughs> 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 which is, which is, um, which is hilarious. Yeah. Because, it shows how I mean, great of a partnership they have. I also haven't seen Wolf yeah, of Wall Street yet, but I need to. That's just, that's just so them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to just, you know, like, oh yeah, well, while we're waiting, let's just, you know, casually make this other movie. It's just a, it's just a banger. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so anyways, um, I just, I just think that's funny. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, this and The Departed, like Brennan mentioned, I I think those are his two best works, Scorsese's, um, and, uh, which DiCaprio happens to be in both of them, but, um, but uh, anyways, I, I don't I don't know if they're DiCaprio's two best necessarily, but not that he's bad in them. But um, but yeah, no, I it, yeah, it's just uh, 
it's it's a very good film <laughs> for many yeah. reasons. Yeah, I, I also a couple things that came to mind uh, that I actually thought about during the film, um, which I'd love you guys to comment on as well. Uh, Leo and Mark Ruffalo are an amazing pairing. They're so good together. And the reason why is because Leo, I, I compare a lot of what Leo did in this movie to Inception. His demeanor is very similar. Um, I think it's very intentional that they're similar. Um, but then Mark Ruffalo is the calm guy. He's the calm guy just going through it. Oh my God, now that I'm thinking about this is another reason it was an illusion. God damn it. <laughs> um, but yeah, Mark, Mark, Mark Ruffalo is like really calm throughout it. Just saying, hey boss, look at this. Hey boss, look at this, and it's super calm. And and I just love the dichotomy between the the really stern and strong and powerful look that DiCaprio has, right, in a lot of his movies, um, especially in another Scorsese film in in the recent one that they did. Which oh my god, the title's escaping me, uh, but I went to go see it. Flower Moon. Um, Flower Moon. Yes, uh, very similar there. Uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. It's it's very sinister, sinister in a really interesting way, in a really positive way, and, and powerful. And then Mark Ruffalo is just there being like, ah, yes, boss. Here's this boss. He handles intense situations very well. It's also as well too with Mark Ruffalo, obviously seeing him as the Hulk, seeing him in this movie, and also seeing him in uh, in the other film we saw, um, Collateral with, in Collateral with with uh, Jamie Fox and Tom Cruise. Um, he plays very similarly in all these movies and he does it in such a really amazing way and it, this movie made me think oh i gotta go see poor things uh so I, I will go see that pretty soon definitely want to go check out that film um but yeah i i, I they, they're a perfect pairing and then and then the second thing that i thought about is someone who thinks a lot about mental health has had mental health struggles for a long time this is a very good mental health film it actually does it really well <laughs> um, in terms of how difficult these these uh, well, not really prisons but just just uh, mental facilities are. Uh, you know, uh, I'll look at movies even like Short Term Twelve that do a good job of this. Even movies like Room. Mm -hmm. um, this movie is a very good and very scary, but very good uh, mental health movie. Um, so I, I wonder if you both Shane and Brandon have any thoughts about the, the pairing between DiCaprio and, and Ruffalo and also the mental health aspects of this film. See, you know, when it comes to, to Mark Ruffalo, I mean, obviously, like we said, if you see him in other movies, you know, he's like, everybody's going to know him as the Hulk, obviously. But if you see him in other movies, you know, he's a great actor. He's done other stuff. He's been fantastic in everything he's done. So, I mean, he's the right choice, obviously, just to play also, just to play the kind of straight guy, more or less, play the straight and narrow, and be kind of a supporting character in this, and to be the the kind of the the antithesis of DiCaprio's character. So, you know, to, to just play off of him the way he does. But <clears throat> it's interesting, because when you first... You know what the first clue is? Well, I shouldn't say the first, but one of the very earliest clues that gives away kind of that that you this, know, this that is a role Eddie play is, and this is fake. That well, it's a role I play. Mean, that the other guys are role playing that, kind of. That ends up being what it is, yeah. But if you notice but just but inside of the role play, remember when they ask uh them to turn their guns over 
and Mark Ruffalo is fumbling with the gun with the holster. Did you did you notice that? Yeah, I was wondering what that was. Yeah, because he's a, he's a he's not a he's not a detective or, or a, you know a guy that shoots guns. He's a doctor. So, oh my lord! Know. So 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 if you realize that at first, that's one of the first things that gives it away. Um, not not the first, but one of the first. Because then if you look at, um, like if you kind of look at their interactions too, like you can see when you know like when Mark Ruffalo's character. Well, Chuck slash Doctor Sheehan. Um, every like 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 we we're saying, everything that that DiCaprio's character of Teddy, well slash Andrew, says to him is you know yes, boss, this boss, that, but because like, you know when you're a doctor, you listen to your patient, but you kind of you don't want to do anything that's going to make your patient's problems worse. So you kind of yes. just go with them to the point to the point where you can't you know go any further, and you have to intervene, and eventually yes. they do. So, so, you know, there's kind of the way, the, the way they play off each other in, in there, because remember, even as actors, not even just in the story sense, but as actors for both of them, having to play two characters almost simultaneously while feeding off of each other, that's the mark of great acting. To put that much into it and have that much thought process go into it and then put out something like this that was so great is... Is just that's that's just as as they say today peak cinema, um, yeah. But it's because it is. But then, so one of those things gives it away. But uh, but I'll I'll give away the other stuff and I'll let Shane talk about there since the original question was you know how they feed off each other. But Shane, what do you guys say about that? I yeah, you know it's uh, it's funny because I normally don't really care for Ruffalo as an actor. I know that's maybe a hot take, but um, he's just, he always, I mean, he just more often than not, I feel like plays his characters way too flat and just, um, I just don't always, you know, like in collateral, he's on the trail of there's, you know, there's like dead bodies all around him and he's on this, trail of this psycho murder and drug and he's like oh there's all the dead guys uh, we need backup it's like dude come on like what are Energy. you doing my yeah like god I, yeah i could do better than you um but anyways in this movie though it um i think it works <laughs> just you know for the reasons that you guys laid out and you know how it's he's sort of meant to just be like this this uh neutral figure in his figment of reality or whatever you know <laughs> however you word it i think um, that is actually the right way to word it by the way <laughs> which i yeah so um so anyways yeah no for this movie though i think i think he worked um and I do think he was good as like Bruce Banner in the first Avengers movie. After that, kind of was like, eh. um, <laughs> but, Hulk, uh, Hulk giving you a taco. But, oh God, yeah. Um, Call back from last week. Thor Ragnarok was he was funny in that, but yeah. um, but anyways, so uh, yeah, no, I I just I like 
in general, I, I enjoy movies that have big plot twists like this, where it's like, you don't necessarily see it coming, but when it happens, you're like, Oh my God, it's so obvious, you know? <clears throat> um, so yeah. Um, what about the mental health aspects in this film, Shane? Well, what did you kind of notice with, with that? Cause I was very captivated by that as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, you know, it's, it's, well, it's sad. <laughs> I mean, yes, for starters, it's extremely uh, you know, sad. It's extremely sad. I, Fortunately, I've never, uh, you know, gone to a, you know, any sort of mental institution or psych ward or anything like that. Um, so I don't, I, I don't have anything, I don't have anything real, like, you know, like real life to compare this to, but, you know, it's just regardless, it, it's always, you know, and they, when you see all these different people, like in like in this movie in the asylum, and just how just how miserable everybody seems, you and know, it's looks like, and looks, right? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, it's like there's that um, there's that one shot where they're going past a you know like a bar door, and there's a a guy just like kind of sitting there hunching a ball and you can like see his skeleton because he's so skinny and he's like squinting at the sun like to get it away you know um i don't know if you remember that yeah. particular shot but that one really stuck with me in my mind um i was just like damn you know like that's it, it's just um it's sad to know that you know there are Unfortunately, people who live like that, you know, as we as we sit here and <laughs> watch this movie and we're like, oh, it's an awesome movie. And then it's like, well, yeah, well, it, yes, yeah. it is. But also, I mean, you know, there's the sad reality of like this, happens. That, you know, <laughs> yeah, right. So, yeah. And, um, and, and I, again, I don't, you know, just from my own personal experience, I don't know how realistic it is, but uh, I assume Scorsese would be pretty thorough and would have kind of, you know, looked into it and sort of tried to get, you know, a, somewhat of an idea of it. And um, But, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know for asylums like this, but I've been to psych wards. Um, one of the most thankless jobs in a psych ward, not only the counselors and the therapists, but the doctors that have to hold people down to yeah, the orderlies and stuff to the orderlies yeah. like f that happens every day in a psych ward. It's oh, yeah. like, it, it's yeah. and like, and that, that is scary. Cause you're, you, I mean, it, it, like, it, like the people are holding knives. You can get stabbed. Like, like it's a tankless job. It's very scary. Um, and God bless the doctors who do that um, because that's so scary. But the orderlies in particular, for me, I was like, not only is that accurate, that reminds me of how scary that is. It's fucking scary uh, because in most cases for that stuff, you're trying to help them. And realistically, it's a life or death situation for you, the patient and everyone else trying to help. Um, it, it's really, really scary. Um, 
and and this movie does a good job showcasing that and that was part of kind of the horror element for me too uh brandon your thoughts on like the mental health aspects of this film well i mean it's it is scary especially because it's like you know i well at least in my family i mean it's not it's not related to something like this but i've had people deal with <clears throat> dementia in my family i've had people deal with uh depression in my family things like that and uh you know um nothing like too too extreme like too extreme to the point where it's like oh like they developed like early onset dementia like really early or not anything like where you know depression has caused them to go to extremes but i've seen it in my family where it's just like you know it's it's scary because you know you're seeing your loved one like deteriorate pretty much right in front of you and and you really can't do much about it um and in this movie, it's, it's just hard because it's like you can see his his mental state or the illusion of his mental state based on this role play deteriorate as well as yeah. you get towards the end. Um, and I don't know if you guys actually noticed this, but do you realize that he actually does go through the five stages of grief? In this I did movie? not realize that. That's no. really accurate. Damn. He because he does he does have periods where he goes through denial of of things of events that happened. He goes through anger. Uh, you know, especially when they keep telling him like that he's not who he says he is and things like that. Uh, and he's like, he gets really, and th- there's parts where he snaps at the other, at the other, well, patients slash inmates. Uh, there's bargaining where eventually he kind of, you know, he kind of feeds into things that he shouldn't have. He takes the pills at, like that he originally didn't want. He takes the pills that he shouldn't have, or he'll take, he takes the cigarettes they give him, which he shouldn't have. He's kind of, kind of, you know, making kind of deals with them to kind of, keep them off his back um he goes through depression obviously we've seen that that's well documented in the movie and then obviously he gets to the point of acceptance but the problem is he relapses and the cycle repeats so the cycle not not only not only does it repeat brandon it ends because that was the last cycle that was the last chance he's he's gonna get put down basically which is what makes it fucking sad at the end yeah and it's and it's and it's actually interesting the the last thing that he says, and this is kind of going off on a tangent about it, but I love the last thing that he says, that last quote, which is worse, to live as a monster or die as a good man. And and I thought about this, and I'm like, well, the choice seems simple, right? You want to die as a good man, but it's more complicated than that. And I guess like in Andrew slash Teddy's case, both options seem like hell. I guess to him. And, and I also uh, think that's repeated throughout the movie. The good man monster thing is kind of repeated throughout the movie. Leo's character yeah. says it a lot, especially in the beginning and in the end. And uh, it's, it's, inter- it's interesting to think like, because they, this, uh, this is actually a great point. I didn't think about this. And when I, even on second watch, I had to actually look it up to, cause I was like thinking about it a little bit. I had to actually look it up to kind of conf- confirm what I thought. And people have conflicting opinions on this, but did does he really relapse at the end, or has he finally come to pe- to peace with everything that's happened and he's ready to accept his fate? I was thinking that as well. It's a really interesting thought, Shane. Do you have any pieces on that? Uh, I, you know, I go back and forth, <laughs> back and forth on it. I mean, yeah, this is one thing that I don't like about the movie (laughs) i i i hate it when movies have open-ended endings 
Uh, yeah. Because yeah. when... I, and I'm going to keep this brief, but... <laughs> You know, and it's like, well, you know, what do you, what do you think the ending meant? It's like, I don't know, it's your damn story. What do you, like, what do you, you tell me what it meant. Like, I, just, I don't know. Like, anyways, um, yeah. I, I think, see, I mean, I, you know, I, I convince myself of one thought and then I'm, <laughs> but then I'm like, well, but he's been so delusional the whole time. It's like, so it's like that real too, you know? Like, yeah, I kind of, I kind of get in this um, back and forth with myself. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I also go back and forth in it on it, and I have been for most of the day, uh, including. When I finished the movie, I was like, is this really real? Brandon, do you have an opinion on it? I, because I think the look that he gives as he's getting up from the steps and ready to walk basically towards his lobotomy, that's not the look of a man I think that relapsed. I think that's the look of a man that has come to terms with everything that has happened and is just done, kind of ready to just end it. Yeah. So that's also it's it's his look it, too, yeah. It's his look that kind of makes me think that he's more at peace with what happened and he just wants it to end rather than you know say he's cured but then be released back into the world and got but he does he does actually relapse again. I think he's kind of just like you know what the best thing to do for everybody involved is just if I met my fate. And he's like I'm ready to meet my fate anyway. He's like I don't you know like you got to think about it his shoes, you know, like he just admitted to, to killing his wife, but he just admitted basically to going insane after that. He doesn't have a family to go home to. Like, where would he even go anyway? And that's, so, and that's also one it, of the things that Ben Kingsley says. He's like, where would they go anyway? Yeah. And I think it's a, not only a physical yeah. thing with the island, but it's a mental thing, too. And, you know, yeah. and it's funny. And it's funny. The more you pick up on things in the movie, the more you realize Remember, remember the scene where he has the real bad migraine from the flashing lights, and he and, yeah, uh, yep. and, and and Doctor, you know, call he says to him, you know, take these pills and, and drink this, you know, it make it make the migraine go away. But then it's foreshadowing his lobotomy because he says, as as the, he says in a quote, he says, "Imagine someone sawed open your head, filled it with razors, and shook it as hard as they could." And Damn, that's, that's one of the things. So it's, it's kind of foreshadowing a lobotomy, but, um, but there's just little things you pick up on. Like when Mrs. Kearns, when they, when they talk to her and she's kind of, she seems like she's normal. And then she writes down in the book, you know, run because like, she, it's almost like she knows, you know, obviously, but not just like, you know, you kind of see that and you know, why would she write it just to him and not, and not write it when, when Chuck is sitting right there, she wrote it just for him to see so you know there's that i mean there's obviously the, the distorted flashbacks those are those are the biggest things that give away that that teddy is not right in the head um and then the one scene and i'm sure you guys might have picked up on this because this this seemed more straightforward than any of the other quotes or any of the other things that might have gave it away but when they're in the scene in the house when they get past the little graves in that bad storm 
they they talk about the experiments being done to people on the island, but Chuck says, how do you believe a crazy guy? And Teddy says, well, crazy people, they're the perfect subjects. They talk and nobody listens. So, yeah, you know, it's, it, that's, that's really interesting too. Cause that's just not just from his standpoint for himself, but that's true about anybody that goes through, you know, mental instabilities and mental health issues. It's, that's true. You know, when, when people with Alzheimer's or dementia talk, you know, you know, you care for who they are or even were, but you're not really listening. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really interesting. And it's true because in the movie too, no one's like, they're, they're, they're looking at Teddy. Well, the character of Teddy, even though it's Andrew, they're looking at Teddy, but they're not really listening. They're just indulging him in his, you know, his fantasy. So it's, it's interesting when you see, you know, just those things. And then you, you and then the more you rewatch it, the more you catch. See, I, I like the open-ended stuff. Like, I, not always. Sometimes I don't like it. If it's too confusing, I don't like it. This one wasn't confusing. That's why I like it. To me, an open-ended ending has to be done in a way where you get it rather than don't. If the, if the plot and stuff is too convoluted, if it's too kind of out there and... Or if it's not defined enough, if it's like, you know, if it's, or, you know, or if it's too tight, you know, whatever way you want to phrase that, if it's not done right, I don't like an open-ended ending. If it's done right, I like it. So it's, it's just one of those movies where it's like everything just hits the right note. There's a perfect blend of horrors, perfect blend of psychological thriller, you know, perfect. There's some action in there. I mean, Mystery. Say at the end, he's, and then did you guys, I don't think. Uh, and, the, and I remember when I first saw this, I didn't pick up on it. And then when I saw it in the second one, I'm, at first I didn't pick up on it again. And then the more it went on, I'm like, wait a minute, this isn't really happening right now, is it? When he talks to the real Rachel Solando in the cave. That fucked me because I was like, wait, who is that person? <laughs> oh, it's just the Lugin. Fuck. I was like, yeah, fuck, but, he yeah, missed man. that. Yeah, but it's like, he's not, he's not talking to anybody. That never happened. Yeah, he's not talking like, to anybody. He's just talking to himself. Which is yeah, fucked. So, so it's 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 you know so it's really weird. And then you know he and then he's like, I knew it was fake when she started asking him right at the very end, right before he falls asleep for the night and have to wake up and he gets thrown out of the cave the next morning. Uh, I knew it. I at least not not knew, but I I kind of figured it was fake when she started asking him about you know the pills, the cigarettes, like. How would like I know she says she worked there, but how would she know that that he took that stuff? You, like yeah, to that degree. Oh she, my god, yeah. Like, like that was something like, that I noticed on my second viewing. Yeah, I was like, wait a minute. I'm like, this doesn't seem right. I'm like, this can't really be real. And on top of that, why would you be living like? And she says that she can never escape the island, but it's like she never escaped the island. But nobody, nobody, like even if she was real, right? And she says nobody can escape the island anyway. But they're not looking for her anymore. So at least not really. Like if she was real, she could just choose to leave if she wanted to, I guess, in certain ways. And also, why is she in a cave? That's also weird. She's she's not. Yeah. You know, you're not a. Uh, you're not a. You're not a. You're not a. What is it? You're not the caveman from Geico. So I I I don't get why that. But then again, okay. I think. Actually, wait a minute. I mean, you guys can keep talking, but I'm trying to think of something. If this actually relates, hold on. Wait a minute. I might be right. 
Um, Maybe right if I think something. Shane, oh, what? I figured it out. Go ahead, Brandon. This is, you know what that? I mean, listen, this happens in a lot of movies, but actually, you know what that might be a reference to—the fact that he met up with her where he did along those rocks in there. You guys ever ever in school, you know, kind of read the allegory of the cave? I've heard of this thing. It's 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 what Plato suggested is you know there's the great Greek philosopher and it says here that basically what that allegory explains is how characters can free themselves from intellectual darkness through enlightenment and the bravery to experiment with new ideas. Interesting. So so, so that might actually be that scene, even though it's obviously in his head. That scene might actually be a reference to the allegory of the cave, so it might be a, another, you know, not just psychological horror thing element, but also a a philosophical element to the movie too. And there is other philosophical elements in the movie, so that wouldn't be too far of a stretch to say that that's actually part of it. That it's borrowing from a well-known philosopher's just that that thing. I've read that. I read that in high school. I read it in college, so I know I know about it. So. I was thinking about it as I was talking about the cave scene, and I'm like, wait a minute, that makes a lot of sense if that's referencing that. So I'm like, there's a lot of things here you don't pick up on right away. So that's why I love this movie, because you can watch it 10,000 times and always find something new about it that makes you really think and want to think deeper. Last thing, too, that I'm really wanting to talk about, Ben Kingsley's performance. Shane, what made his performance so phenomenal in this movie? Well... You know, I think um, I think Ben Kingsley is very underrated as an actor. First of all, um, I mean he say what you want about him and some of his roles, <laughs> um, but I think you know with this one in particular, um, it's hard to explain, but. You know, the, this film needed some sort of a some sort of a presence in it that was um, not not demanding, but what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, almost an authority that was sort of felt like the person that you know everybody was working under, <laughs> um, and. You know, because there's really no, it's not like this movie has a villain or like a, you know, some sort of a antagonist force that's like putting them in tough situations. Not that he is that, but I think, you know, with he's such a, he's like the closest thing you have to that, I feel. And, um, you know, given the fact that he is just, he's very commanding and, you know, but also like trustworthy in a weird way, because, you know, when you, when you get all this information from him, you're like, oh yeah, no, I buy it. But like, you know, that's kind of sketch. What have you been doing? You know what I mean? Like, um, and he just pulls it off really well. It's hard to explain, but I don't, I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> uh, Brandon, your thoughts on Kingsley's amazing performance? 
it's funny because on the second watch, I'm like, wait a minute. I'm like, if I remember this correctly, because I was trying to, because the first time I saw it was, oh my God, it was like 10 years ago. So I was like, wait a minute, if I remember this correctly, I'm like, Ben Kingsley seems like a villain and he is known for playing villainous roles. But I was like, he's not a villain in this if you know what the ending is. He really isn't. Right. Yeah. Um, he's actually trying to be helpful. He's actually trying to be helpful yeah, he's the whole time. To be helpful. But, um, but my God, just the way he delivers lines, the way he's so, the way almost every single one of his lines has a double meaning. It's not just in this movie, in other movies too. He he may he's an actor that is not just in, engages you in his performance. He makes you think about what is really happening in every single second every, of every, almost every every shot he's in. Um, I mean it's amazing. Uh, but and I mean I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go on a little. Not side sidebar, but I'm just gonna mention this. You know who's actually is my most underrated character in this movie? Who? The warden, played by Ted Levine. The the cop person that drives him at the end. The yeah, yeah, he's really yeah, good because he the, does pop. He pops right right before that. Yeah, but, um, you know, kind of foreshadowing that stuff. But you know what actually makes his performance too? Because this is a creepier kind of movie, but. You know what Ted Levine's known for, right? No, I don't believe so. Shane, you know what he's known for. Ted, Ted Levine? Yeah. Um, do I? Wait. Oh, why can't I think of it? Um, uh, the, um, the Hannibal. Um, yeah, Silence of the Lambs. Who's Silence of the Lambs, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was he was he was Buffalo Bill, so it's fun. So he gives he gives a really good performance in this. Being from another another kind of psychological horror kind of movie, he was a good fit for this kind of movie. And then to give the speech that he does on violence and be creepy while doing it while driving him back to the place is such an underrated scene in this movie, and it was so well done that I was like, this is great. And people, I don't think people are going to pick up on this on first watch, but. But yeah, but Ben Kingsley though, he just steals the show. He's my favorite actor in this movie. And I, I'm a DiCaprio fan. I'm a I'm a fan of, you know, I'm Mark Ruffalo to a degree. I like Michelle Williams. I think Michelle Williams is one of the best female actresses ever. Um I love everything that she does. And I'm not even a big yeah. fan of a lot of female actresses. I'm a fem- I'm a big fan of hers. But Ben Kingsley is definitely, I think, just everything that he does is done with such just it's done with conviction. It's, you you believe him. It's everything he does. He really is an actor. It's like he's not a character actor. He's not a method actor, I should say. But he definitely gets into character so well for every role that he's ever done. And this is this is no different. This is literally just him, basically being a villain, which he's been known for in his career, but doing it in a way where he is not an actual villain. So he's giving a, a villainous performance as a good guy. And that's what made, and like I said, every single character in this movie, at least most of them, at least the important ones, they all have to play two different characters. So so for Ben Kingsley to do it, I mean that's that's a that's a that's a Tuesday afternoon to him. Like that that that's no problem. So, you know, for him to do that is just amazing and it's it's just a testament to how good he is as an actor and everything he's done not just this 
Yeah, that that one uh that one's a really good one. That's that's number two right now for me on uh, on my list of movies. Of course, we'll do that uh, during Super Bowl week. But uh, next week, Shane is off to sunny and beautiful Hawaii. Hopefully, is it gonna rain there, Shane, or like is it? Well, it's supposed like- to, but you know, I mean, it, we you know the thing is though, when it does rain there, it's it pours for like half an hour, and then it's sunny the rest of the day. So like, who really cares? <laughs> that's like Florida. Florida the same way. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's just tropical places in general are kind of like that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, now I'm excited. I, you know, I, I like the winter cold and whatnot, but it's nice to get out of town for a few days. Get, get some sun in, you know? Yeah. I hear yeah. you. I hear you. Well, we're going to be brave in the cold here in Washington, New Jersey. Uh, Brandon and I are going to be here next week for the show. Uh, for conference championship week, maybe Shane will pop in by the pool. I think that's what you said you might do, uh, which would be yeah, actually, man. I'll, uh, be, I'll be watching. I'll be watching the game. You know, when I'm there during football season, I sit there with um, with Alex, my sister's boyfriend, and we sit there with drinks by the bar and sit in the pool and watch the games. Yeah, so on that, the TV there above the bar. It is a vibe and a half. <laughs> that that's definitely going to be fun for you. Well, uh yeah, that's going to be fun. So hopefully Shane joins us by the pool. Uh but Brandon and I are going to be doing Book Smart that is my pick. I'm very excited to watch this one. I'm very excited to see what Brandon and I think Shane you've seen it before, uh but we'll we'll talk about that. In a couple of weeks with you, I have, yeah. Um, about your thoughts about that film on a rewatch, but that's gonna be very fun. We talked about it a little bit. Yeah, we talked about it a bit. Um, I don't, I don't know how. It's been a very long time since we actually had a proper conversation about that movie, and I don't remember like yeah. a frick ton from it. Um, even though I remember it was really good, but I always seem to forget it when I think about favorite movies. So I think by the end, it's gonna go back <laughs> on my favorite movie list. Uh, I'm actually very, very excited to talk about it, but uh. We'll be back next week uh, for Shane, for Brandon. Uh, We will see you all uh, next Sunday night. All right. Take it easy, everyone. Yes, sir. Take care, everybody.